I'm Autumn Lockett. And this is Mitch Randall. And you're listening to Good Faith Weekly. On this episode of Good Faith Weekly, we're going to be interviewing Tim Selig, whose new book, published by Nurturing Faith, is entitled The Tale of Two Tims, Big Old Baptist and Big Old Gay. You trust me on this. You do not want to miss our interview with Tim. He is absolutely delight and has a very inspirational story to tell. So stay tuned for that. Are you worried that COVID-19 is going to put off your plans for theological education? The Baptist Seminary of Kentucky is offering a full schedule online this fall. Our approach to online education is unique, offering classes live and face-to-face via Zoom. At BSK, relationship is critical, and we are thrilled to be able to offer our Master of Divinity, Pastoral Care Certificate, and Rural Ministry Certificate this way. Learn more at bsk.edu. Autumn, how are you doing this week? I'm doing great because my city leaders are taking care of me. Oh, please, please do tell, Autumn. What are you talking about? Well, there was a bunch of scuttlebutt um, because our uh, neighbor to the south, Texas, the governor made a mandate that they have to wear masks in public. And there was. Well, he backtracked. I mean, I mean, at first he said no mask because, you know, they could cause more sickness. And that was just nonsense. But then all of a sudden their numbers start to spike uh, the roof. And then, Mm -hmm. oh, hey, this mask thing might be something else. And then thank God he finally came around. And I do applaud him for that. It was a good decision. Yeah, I think sometimes it's hard to admit you were wrong and, you know, know that everyone not in your corner is going to do the you were wrong dance, but we're just happy that he made that decision. But then we started hearing some whisperings of the public schools in Oklahoma and what their plans were going to be. And um, there were some rumors of even some parochial schools in the area who were going to say no masks. Masks Mm. are not allowed. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That was from our local pediatrician's office. And so people have been really alarmed. You know, not only are our kids at stake here, but our teachers, you know, we, they are making these remote offerings where we can have our kids at home and somehow work at the same time. I don't know how that works, but the teachers don't have a choice. They have to be there. And so Norman city council voted last night, eight to one, uh, mandating masks in public spaces. Good job, Norman city leaders. That was a wise decision. You know, I just, I still, you know, we've talked about this since the pandemic began uh, in various contexts. I still don't understand the resistance to mask because not only does it protect you, but more so it protects everybody around you. And this this fallacy, especially in the opening of education and, and schools, school, and I feel I oh my goodness, I feel so much compassion for uh, our school officials, our school leaders, superintendents uh, around the state and around the country of what to do because you know these kids have already lost so much you know in, in having to shut down schools and do virtual learning uh, last semester at the end of the last school year and really wanting to, to, to somehow figure out a way to educate them. And I think that there are some creative ways to do that. But the whole idea that the argument that, well, kids are not being, kids aren't contra- or are not coming down with COVID-19. While that might be predominantly true, that is not entirely true because the age brackets are coming down of teenagers and kids contracting this disease. 
And in some yeah. cases, especially those who are compromised, it's fatal. But even in that argument, it is still a, an invalid argument because it's not buildings full of children. It's children that are accompanied by adults. There are the teachers, as you mentioned. There are the administrators, the cafeteria workers, the building engineers, all of these adults who are coming in and out of the building who are there because they have to be there. They're employed there. Um, and if they're going to have students there, then they've got to be there. They, they risk contracting the disease, and some of them are compromised. And so is this... this well, not only that, Mitch, but... Children are going to be in these super spreader situations. Mm -hmm. They're going to be on school buses. They're going to be in classrooms. They're going to be um, in tight spaces with poor ventilation. And then they're going to go home to who? To their parents, parents, to their grandparents, to their. So like we're about to put our whole country in a super spreader situation. Yeah. So I don't know what the answer is. I I do trust that, or at least I, I, I am hopeful. Maybe I don't trust, but I'm hopeful that there are some very creative educators out there that can figure a way that we can continue educating our children in a safe way uh, Mm -hmm. that it's going to be different, but we've got to figure something out until this virus can be controlled. Now, I don't know when that's going to be, if that's going to be the end of 2020 or the first part of 2021, but there are some advances that are coming along that we are hopeful but we cannot risk the health of our children, our educators, just because of political reasons to rush everybody back into the school system to try to get back to normal as quickly as possible. Uh, that, as we've seen in the South, is the last thing that we need to do. Because if we think the numbers are high now, if we put these kids in a Petri dish that is just going to spread germs right and left, I would venture to say, and this is no scientific uh, assessment, that we could see a doubling of infections uh, come September. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. So bravo to the city of Norman. For all of you educators out there, we do pray for you, and I do want you to hear yeah. us say that. We, we, and we do more than that. We're going to be a voice for you. We will be a voice I've got my time fingers ready. Yeah, and we don't, I mean, we also understand the complexities and the difficulties of these issues, and we know that you want to get back into the classroom to educate yeah. our children. But let's do it in a safe and secure manner. And this, I keep having to remind myself, is not issues that we experience in isolation. The entire globe is, has encountered this virus. And believe it or not, as U.S. citizens, we can actually learn from other countries who have eradicated this virus. I'm sorry, such what? As- that doesn't sound very patriotic <laughs> to me. America first, baby. <laughs> well, you know, there, there is that out there, Autumn, but I do, I mean, <laughs> There's so many other countries who have done such a great job of flattening yeah. the curve. And in, like I said, some cases like New Zealand have actually eradicated it. Uh, I was read an article just the other day in a magazine about Italy. Uh, they're having outdoor uh, uh, film festivals and, and people are gathering in the squares. It, it looks halfway normal, uh, but they're yeah. able to gather and be together. And why was that? Because they shut everything down for an extended period of time. And mm-hmm. so I, I just, I, I wish American citizens would, would some American ex- citizens who continue to, to call this a hoax and fake and that, you know, it's not as bad as everybody says it is, that we would wake up and, 
and do the right thing. Wear your mask, people. Social distance yes. and be safe because Jesus really did mean love your neighbor. Stay tuned for our interview with Tim Selig, the author of The Tale of Two Tims, Big Old Baptist and Big Old Gay. Ethics Daily and Nurturing Faith are coming together and joining forces to launch Good Faith Media. Is that not exciting? I am pumped. I'm so excited. We've been planning this and scheming and dreaming, and it's finally coming to fruition. We're really excited to roll out the new website, uh, hoping that everybody will get a chance to log on to goodfaithmedia.org starting July the 1st. But uh, there's also something we want to invite uh, a lot of our good friends to be a part of, and that is the Good Faith 50. So, Autumn, tell us a little bit about the Good Faith 50. The Good Faith 50 is a group of our friends who want to support us. And our goal is to grow our monthly members, so our our folks who donate to the mission of Good Faith Media, which is to provide resources and reflection at the intersection of faith and culture through an inclusive Christian lens. We want to invite the people who believe in that mission to become monthly donors. And our goal in July and August is to grow our monthly donors by 50. That is absolutely awesome. We welcome anybody who wants to be a part of the Good Faith crew in the months of July and August. And all they need to do is go to goodfaithmedia.org, hit the donate button, and then select to become part of the Good Faith 50 and a monthly donor at any level. And we would love to hear from you. And we appreciate, as always, your support. Your contribution helps us publish new articles each and every day. It also helps us Uh, produce short documentaries and allows us to cover stories across the country. It helps us publish more books and provide more experiences for more people of faith. We are trying to advance a faith that is inclusive for all, providing justice for all and freedom for all. So make certain you sign up on Good Faith 50 at goodfaithmedia.org. Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly, and on this episode, we have a very special guest with us, Dr. Tim Selig. He is the Artistic Director for the San Francisco Gay Men's Choir and the Program Director for the National LGBTQ Center for the Arts. Dr. Selig continues as a busy guest conducting or conductor with his schedule all, he's just, he's booked all around the world, and we're delighted to have him with us today. He also holds four degrees, including a Doctor of, Minist- or Doctor of Musical Arts degree and a diploma from the prestigious Mozarteum in Salzburg, Austria. It only took me about four or five takes to get that. Uh, He has (laughs) published several books and DVDs on choral technique. His recordings have been on Billboard's Top 10 and iTunes Top 10 Classical Charts. His choruses have been the topic of three documentaries. And now he is the author of a brand new book just released entitled The Tell of Two Tims, Big Old Baptist, Big Old Gay. Dr. Selig, welcome to Good Faith Weekly. Thank you so much. I, that's a great introduction. I wrote it myself. So, you know, <laughs> what, what can go wrong? Well, here? I hope I read it just like you submitted you it. Did. <laughs> it was fantastic. <laughs> Uh, and we asked you for the pronunciation of Mozarteum. Yeah. And so now I can say that you literally put the yum in Mozarteum. Love it. Oh, Love it. Wow. <laughs> that may be the first time in that school's history that that ever happened. 
<laughs> they may want to adopt that for the new tagline. I'll let them have it. I really will. So put the yum yeah. in opera. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. yeah. You put the raw in opera. That's great. <laughs> I can do this all day long. Y'all just let me know. Yeah, let's go. So writing a book is quite the journey. Um, and we've been able to follow your journey through the nurturing faith crew who uh, published your book. And so in addition to perfecting the content, um, your working title had several evolutions. So can you tell us a little bit about how you landed on the final version? It did. Uh, when people read the book, it's uh, it will be fairly clear to them that I spent 35 years um, in the Southern Baptist, in the womb of the Southern Baptist Church. Mom and dad were both professional Baptists at Southwestern Seminary. My brother was a Baptist uh, minister as well. And at 35, I realized I couldn't live a lie anymore. And with a wife and two children and on the staff of First Baptist Houston, um, that was a big, it was a big mm -hmm. shift. That's the complete understatement of the sure. day. And um, I was, uh, I didn't know what to do. And I found out, I had no idea that there was such a thing as a gay men's chorus. And there was one in Dallas looking for a conductor. And um, I took that job. We were, they were uh, bankrupt, dysfunctional, codependent, and it was a match made in heaven. I moved to Dallas and I was all those three and more. And I was going to stay a year just to, to pay child support. And I ended up staying 20 years with wow. the Turtle Creek Corral in Dallas. And it was amazing. And it was great to be in Dallas. I grew up in Fort Worth. One of the great so, choirs um, of the country, by the way. Just a, an amazing choir. Well, thank you. The, um, so recently, I mean, I, we, we can get into the exact impetus that pushed me over the edge, so to speak, <laughs> to write the book. But it sort of dawned to me a, a year ago throughout my life, people had said, oh, you should write a book. That's funny. Yeah, I'm not old enough to write a book. And then one day I woke up and I was. And um, <laughs> so I realized that very soon I would have spent 35 years as a Southern Baptist working in the Southern Baptist church and almost 35 years, as I say, waving my arms at the gaze. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a life divided in two. So the two Tims, uh, a lot of people think I have multiple personality disorder. So multiple Tim's <laughs> was not a surprise to anyone, but they narrowed it down to just two, which was thoughtful of them. Right. And, um, and it just kind of happened. And then seriously with, with nurturing faith and friends, uh, and we bickered till the last moment of whether we're going to put all or not put all. So mm -hmm. to Taylor, two Tim's big Baptist, big gay, but I grew up in Texas. I spent most of 60 years in Texas and they're like, no. And throughout the book, <laughs> there are uh, a fair amount of colloquialisms uh, uh, indigenous to Texas. Yeah. So why not put it on the cover? Well, Autumn yeah. is uh, born and bred in, in the Lone Star State, so uh, she I identifies am. with those yeah. colloquialisms. Uh, I didn't notice any colloquialisms. I don't know what you're talking well, about. I have, no, I have no accent. <laughs> it read like high, li high um, literature to me. Right. Yep. Well, uh, Tim, in the beginning of the book, you write about this misdirected <laughs> story. You continue the story of, you know, as we have heard oftentimes, um, from our LGBTQ uh, colleagues and friends, this strained relationship that you had with your family throughout the book. And as I said, we hear that story time and time again from LGBTQ plus people 
who feel very isolated from their own families. How did you find your place, and what encouragement can you offer to others who feel that way? Oh, man, thank you so much for asking that question. Um, in the book, I describe my brother, uh, who was the administrative pastor of First Baptist Church and then Second Baptist Church of Houston, mega, mega churches. And when I came out, he did not take it well. I'll, I will talk about my parents' reaction because it's fantastic. Um, but my brother not didn't take it well at all and disowned me a few times. And finally, when he said, what can I do to forgive? forgive what can I do for you to forgive me? And I said, um, you either write a book or we write it together. And the title is What Not to Do When a Family Member Comes Out. Wow. And I said, at that point, you get Robin Press or, or Baptist Press to publish it. So that, And then I'll forgive you, which was a joke because I forgave him sure, anyway. Sure. He never wrote that book and he passed uh, a few years ago. And um, I, don't, I don't think he really, really ever intended to write that book. But the first thing I would say is um, find someone to talk to. I mean, when you're, if you have a child, family member, friend who comes out, or, or you find out is gay and maybe you didn't know uh, already, um, go find out how to treat those people and what you can do in Christian love to do that. And let me tell you about my parents, uh, dad, the vice president of Southwestern seminary, mom on the voice faculty at Southwestern seminary, both for 30 years. Um, when I came out, it was tough. I mean, a, a name like Selig, you can't really hide. It's not Smith. And, um, so pretty much everybody knew and, um, they, they weren't happy. Well, of course they have the first question. What do we, what did we do to make you gay? And I, of course, said there was nothing you did that, that made me gay, but what you did was you made, a, made me a man of integrity and you made me a man that could not live a lie and didn't, and didn't do that. So the truth that you taught me, uh, so maybe it's a double-edged sword for you all because you taught me how to tell the truth, mm. and so I've told the truth. And they got that. They totally understood. And um, the rest of the time, they prayed for me, they did not pray to God to change me ever. Mm -hmm. And their comment about that to their friends and everyone is, if we believe God is omnipotent, well, then God can change Tim if God wants to. Apparently, God doesn't want to. So we're going to pray for his safety and we're going to pray for his health mm -hmm. and for his happiness. And in the, it didn't take maybe 10 years until mom and dad both um, sat me down and said, you know, we finally, finally get it that you have a greater ministry where you are mm -hmm. than you ever would in the church. Mm -hmm. And what a, what a stamp of approval sure. from your parents, uh, my parents who had, what, had lived. How did that make you feel when they said that? I mean, after 10 years. Oh, uh, well, so that we weren't estranged. Right, 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 um, right, right. But yeah, it's just, it's just like this, this that, stamp of think, blessing upon you. The day I started with the gay men's chorus was 1987, mm -hmm. and I was faced for the first time ever. We didn't, we did not have the AIDS in the Southern Baptist Church. It was so well hidden up to that point. Right. I know we had people who were ill. I absolutely know it now, especially, but we didn't talk about it. And when I joined the gay men's chorus or became their conductor, I faced it right up front on the front row, covered with sores. And I had no idea what it was. Mm -hmm. It changed me. That changed me because this young man um, was coming to rehearsal each week 
to give him some reason to live and to fight. And so the, the immediate years uh, following that were spent as a minister. I was in hospital rooms and I was taking care of singers and I was helping them get their groceries. And it didn't take long till mom and dad were looking at this and going, wow, right. it's not just gay pride every day. It's um, actual pride in being gay. And it was quite a revolution um, for me and a revelation that they would say that. And they believed dad and mom both believed it till their subsequent deaths. Well, what a, a beautiful story. I mean, just uh, to, to, for the family to come together and the ministry that you've provided, not only in Dallas, but San Francisco, is just you. really a, a I have one other story uh, that is related. Mom and dad never joined like PFLAG or any like, mm-hmm. yay, flag-waving, right, right. flag-waving parental group. But um, And we did have a little struggle. Um, when mom died, uh, dad had the obituary, which was amazing, and it had a huge, huge funeral. And mom was a singer with Billy Graham through those years. And so it was huge. And he wrote in the, in the obituary that Tim was the conductor of the San Francisco Men's Chorus. And so before I went to the paper, I said, hi, you need to leave out my employer if you're going to not list it correctly. It's the Gay Men's Chorus, Dad. Right. I mean, hi, you know this. <laughs> yeah. Immediately went to the funeral director and to the paper and put the gay word in there right. and with no ruffle. It was sure, just, sure. I don't know if it was just like, maybe I can get by with this, just sneak it <laughs> through and he won't notice. Um, or it could have, it wasn't an oversight. Right. So um, when dad's uh, became, my, when my brother died, the people from the cemetery came over, uh, a lovely young woman and uh, to, to sell my dad a funeral plot for my brother. Mm-hmm. And um, they were sitting there and she said, do you have any other children? And he said, yes. And he said, my son is the conductor of the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus. And the woman began to cry. Wow. And he said, what's wrong? And she said, my daughter has just told me that she's a lesbian mm-hmm. and I don't know what to do with that. Mm. And dad reached over and took her hand and said, just don't build walls. Wow. That was it. Wow. Just don't build. And they never did. They, I, I came home with some crazy stuff and um, they never built walls. Everybody, not everybody. Most of the other people did (laughs) decided to build a wall. You know, I mean, I had, I had hurt so many people and I, for the radio audience, I'm using air quotes because (laughs) you know, what people said was you hurt us so deeply by coming out and like, Right. Oh, you have no idea. Yeah, sure. What that feels like to right. me. So mm-hmm. I think you're going to be okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, what a great response yeah. by your dad. I mean, that's just was phenomenal yeah. and and just you know, I mean, just inspiring. And then touching other lives. Yeah, through absolutely. That yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, the okay. biggest battle, the biggest battle for us, um, and for all. I, let me just take a side track real quick. I am so grateful to Good Faith Media and to Nurturing Faith. I am so grateful because I could have gotten a gay publisher. They, you know, they would have loved that. Oh, sure. And when this opportunity came uh, to publish with Nurturing Faith and you all, um, this is the way I can get my book out to people who need to read it. Absolutely. Not just the people who want to read it. So all my friends and all the singers and all the choirs, they want to read it. But it's, it's people that are listening today that need to read this book and walk with me through my journey 
and realize where they fall in that spectrum. Somewhere along the way, they've had the experience of watching someone go through what I have. Mm -hmm. And I think hopefully it will, it will change and touch people. Yeah. Well, Tim, we're a proud, proud partner in this uh, project and we're just glad that you decided to publish with us and people need to go get the book and uh, order it uh, at goodfaithmedia.org starting today. I was I was supposed to be answering a question when I took that sidetrack. No, you're completely fine. <laughs> no, you're fine. <laughs> I, mean, I work with a lot of preachers, so I'm accustomed to them. Just you know, right. Hey, right hey, 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 I can mute you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so with all and politicians, when you ask a question, I go, "Well, that's not what I really okay. want to well, answer." Actually, so I'll just give my right exactly. <laughs> so without giving any spoilers, because we do want people to buy the book. Um, it is filled with uh, so many joyful fortissimo uh, moments of your life as you describe them. Um, but it's also filled with some really vulnerable and, you know, tough to read. I thought maybe this needed a trigger warning a little bit. Um, not, not really, but, but it is. No, really. No, really. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, when I, um, I, I think, I, I don't think it's a spoiler alert to say I had told, I heard from people, you should write a book, you should write a book. And I've had a, an amazing array of life experiences, not just the coming out, but leading up to that, my operatic career was highs and lows and moving to Europe twice to do that. So up to that point was pretty interesting, pretty dang interesting. Um, after that, you know, as I said, I, I, um, I became a real AIDS activist and, and, an, and an activist on many fronts. And then um, I am also HIV positive. And it's another thing that I say every time I'm allowed to say it because we are forgotten. This is, it's insane. Millions of people still have HIV and just, just so everybody knows there's not a vaccine right. 30 years later mm -hmm. and there's a whole there are lots of reasons why that doesn't exist but we won't get into that but really um i came to san francisco which is the granddaddy of the entire lgbtq choral movement it's the first chorus that ever stepped out and and proclaimed its sexual orientation in its name and since then has been a world leader so i came here 10 years ago and it was the big job i didn't think i was really going to do this again like another gay chorus after turtle creek corral but um i took this job and it's incredible and you can read about the things that this this chorus is doing and has done including a uh, documentary called um, gay chorus deep south that will be on mtv this summer so um watch for gay chorus deep south that's where we first met jim dant yes because the chorus sang at his church anyway um beautiful so, story oh my gosh oh my gosh yes it's uh it's the reconciliation part and the the documentary clearly shows the rec reconciliation that happened at first baptist greenville for many of us including me so um just trucking along doing great things my daughter and her husband and grandbaby lived 10 minutes from us mm. and my daughter died suddenly mm. a year and a half ago and um it rocked me i um could take all the bad things that ever happened to me and roll them into one and it sure. didn't compare to no, this the shock and so it took me um it took me six to eight months to i mean i was still working i conducted a I conducted a requiem eight days after her death because there was no one else to do it. Mm -hmm. So um, after that, I was not doing well and I was forgetting things and I was still conducting and 
couldn't remember the last song we sang. It was just really traumatic. So I took time off. I took a sabbatical and began to write and began to journal. And that's what happened. Um, that's how, how this book came about mm-hmm. is because I finally sat down and took the time to begin unraveling uh, what, what led up to this. And then my response after that. Yeah. Well, I just can't imagine, but, uh, I mean, you've poured your, your heart and your soul into this book. And, and again, we just cannot recommend it enough. You know, a moment ago, uh, Tim, we talked about, you know, a lot of LGBTQ plus people feeling isolated from their families when their, their families reject them after they come out. In addition to that, and you write very poignantly about that. In fact, you just mentioned this moment of reconciliation when you went to First Baptist Greenville, but earlier on in your life, you were serving a church, First Baptist Church in Houston, and there was this moment where you came out and you had this, uh, this, I wouldn't say confrontation, but it, it became confrontational with the pastor there, and this, you had this exchange with him. Uh, talking about gluttony and homosexuality, and and just we thought that that was just a very interesting exchange and your response in association with that. So if you could retell that for us a little bit, and and then what advice, uh, after you do that, what advice do you have for our LGBTQ Christians and people who may maybe grew up in church, but for whatever reason felt has now felt rejected by the church. What advice do you have for them about their faith and their search for, for a relationship, not only with God, but with the church in general? So, wow, that's a big question. It is. I'm so sorry. It is. It's good. Um, the whole gluttony thing was interesting and it was top of mind for me because I come from a family of fat and I mean, we're just all fat. We're Texans. We uh, grew up German and Texan and West Texan and we just ate. And uh, as I said in, in the, in the opening of the opera section about my life as an opera, that the fat lady will sing and it might be my mom. She was, that part. <laughs> she was on a diet her entire life. Right, sure. um, so very near and dear to our family is, the the weight issues and um i was just I, I don't know that i was that that kind but you know i think when we start making lists of sins and we add things on that are convenient um or things we just don't like i mean heavens i grew up uh, in the 50s in the southern baptist womb mm-hmm. and you know we didn't dance and we didn't chew and we didn't go with girls that do right there you go there you go yeah. <laughs> Plus, too much makeup, and we sure didn't smoke, and we didn't divorce. Good Lord, nobody divorced until we realized there was a whole world of single adults that we needed to come to church. So, I mean, it's just a, it's a, you know, it's a progression of limitations and things that are wrong that aren't actually in the Bible. Mm-hmm. So, um, we had this discussion, and uh, um, Brother John Bassanio, uh, the trumpet playing firebrand from Shawnee, Oklahoma. Yes, um, yes, yes. Yeah, it's a long, it's a long story in there. If if you all know his prize, Johnny John Bassanio. Mm-hmm. So he's the one that got to deliver the news to me that the list of things uh, that would I would have to do in order to maintain my position at the church or retain it after a leave of absence long enough to go to have reparative therapy. And I um, 
I, when that conversation <laughs> was almost over, I said, John, um, I just need to ask you something because at that point, uh, he was huge. He was a very, very large man. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if this was small of me, but I said, I just want to know where, where uh, homosexuality is in the Bible on the list of sins where gluttony is mm-hmm. and homosexuality is not. Right. And his comment, he kind of leaned over the desk and he said, well, Tim, you know, um, using gluttony as a sin, it's just not practical. <laughs> It may be biblical, but it's just not practical. And, um, you know, that was, uh, there are many moments, as you all know, in the book where I I just kept looking for help through Christian counselors. And boy, are they humdingers. I mean, gee. Exactly. um, It it didn't work out so well. That money I'll never have back. And actually, number two and number three, people have said, why didn't you have them, their license taken away? Because, you know, one of them blackmailed me and one of them, you know, all this. And that's not me. Just go, you know, I I could have done it so they didn't um, impose that kind of therapy on other people. But I I was uh, a big mess at that point. Um, so coming out of so say, coming out of that, Tim. Um, I mean, and to go back yeah. to that that original question. So coming out of that, I mean, it would have been very easy to just entirely reject the church, reject faith. But you didn't. Uh, you have, you know, you have been searching. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of pain that you went through in association with that. But you mentioned this moment at Greenville where reconciliation began to to really take root in you and to the other. Uh, gentleman that was in the choir. Um, what advice do you have for people who feel rejected by the church? It takes time. Mm. And the very difficult thing is to separate the church from the people. Mm. And because, uh, yeah, in fact, what the uh, the la- next to the last page of the entire book says, did I throw the baby out with the bathwater? And what is the baby and what is the bathwater? Well, let's decide what those are first. And it's so easy to throw out. And then you find out that you threw out organized religion. And I could not have lived the last 35 years uh, doing what I do without faith and without hope and all the things that the good things that the church taught me I have lived very successfully without organized religion. And so those are, those are separate things. The experience after going to, um, <laughs> you all were really like this, because mm-hmm. uh, all my family, of course, is from the South and Southern Baptist. And the experience at, at First Baptist Greenville when we took 300 people to sing there. And by the way, that's online. That concert's on YouTube. Right. Okay. Yeah, you can search for that concert. It's it was live streamed, mm-hmm. so I suggest going to do that. Um, people, when I got home, my son-in-law actually was like, "Well, did you get saved or what? I mean, is that what happened, or did you just redecorate your life? Redecorate and, your life?" Uh, I, I said, "No, I didn't get saved." Um, but I, this is the analogy that I use, and I've continued to use, and that is, we have been thrown out of our families. No question about it. Mm -hmm. Massive numbers because people don't understand. The core to that misunderstanding is that the Christian faith teaches that we could not have been made that way. 
and we're on this side going, I was born this way. Can you imagine how much easier it was? And there's a long section about me at the altar begging God to please let me be straight, please. I was born this way. Mm -hmm. And that's really the crux of people understanding and accepting that that is the truth. Uh, we'll leave that there. But going back to um, First Baptist Greenville, I liken it unto when we're thrown out of our house and estranged from our families because we don't understand. And we build that wall and we're invited back uh, to Thanksgiving and then we're invited back to Thanksgiving and we don't go because no, I mean, they've, they've disowned me. And one year, finally, you decide to go back and the door opens and you smell mom's stuffing and you smell the pecan pie that she made and it floods over and you walk into the room and the dining table looks just like it did. And you sit in your spot at the table that they haven't filled or taken away from you. All of that just floods over you. You still don't agree with her politics, right? Because I'm pretty sure who they talked about at lunch, you know, we won't sure. talk about it now, but, sure. um, or you may not believe in, in their, their relationship with organized religion, but you go away and you've been just enveloped in that feeling. Mm. That's what happened at first Baptist Greenville for me. I had eschewed uh, all contact. I was not interested in going back in a right. first Baptist church. Yeah. Um, and then I walked in and walked up to the pulpit and actually I got to go there by myself. And I sang an, an old song that my mom sang in the Baptist church by myself, no one in the room. Oh, that was emotional. Powerful. Back. Yeah. Of course it was his eyes on the sparrow. Well, of course. That was one of my mom's hits. And you can find that on YouTube too, her singing it. Um, so, all of that came back and then the the concert with you know almost 300 of my best friends and a packed house the first baptist greenville and oh boy coming home in that regard mm -hmm. was indescribable and wow. it's it's on full view in the documentary i went away with a little more hope of um organized religion yeah. certainly and then i went back there uh, i have a, a glimmer of hope for organized religion I have massive hope for the people in the churches mm -hmm. and it really, um, it really did change the rest the trajectory of the rest of my life. Well, we are all hoping and praying that there is a tide turning, uh, on this particular, uh, issue. And I hate to call it even an issue, but the, the full inclusion and affirmation of our LGBTQ brothers and sisters around the world, for the purpose of the church, because they are made in the image of God. They are created perfectly by his or her hand. And we, we, we are doing everything we can at Good Faith Media and working with our partners to advocate for not only the affirmation, but the complete welcoming and blessing of those individuals as they live out their faith in a local congregation. So hopefully we're praying that the, that this momentum right. will continue uh, and that the tide is changing, hopefully today. Just like everything else, it begins at the bottom and it begins with an individual and it begins with a family that doesn't throw their, their gay, lesbian mm -hmm. uh, child out. It begins with one-on-one -on -one and then having the courage to tell others in your church about your love and support of your loved one. And, and it will trickle up. Mm. It's not going to trickle down. Right. Mm -hmm. A wise man once said, don't build walls. 
and uh, the church has spent too long building walls. So let's break those down and throw the doors open for everyone. Autumn? Yeah, so our tagline at Good Faith Media is there's more to tell. So what is your more to tell? Oh my goodness, you know, the learning curve is is still way high for me. And my my learning curve is not unlike yours in these days. My learning curve hit in March when uh, COVID came along. And I lived, I was in the middle of the AIDS pandemic. And here I am again in the middle of a pandemic. There are similarities. It's a whole nother show that I loved doing about how different that was. And the fear then, and now the fear here, um, but that hit. And then I will tell you that um, I was rocked, as we all were rocked by the Black Lives Matter movement, mm-hmm. and we better stay rocked. Absolutely, uh, we have institutional racism everywhere. It is rampant, and this is one of the things that should and hopefully will have rocked uh, not not just our faith, but the way we live our lives. And so the learning curve is is still strong for all of us if we're willing to continue to learn. So actually, uh, when COVID hit and then Black Lives Matter, I rushed to Nurturing Faith and said, can I please write a codicil? Can I, can I write, add, add one chapter? And they're like, no, you may not. And like, okay, fine. So you started your second book is what you're saying. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Oh, boy. I don't think I'm going to live another 35 years, but that's nice. Well, Dr. Tim Selig, thank you so much for spending time with us today. You'll want to make certain to go and visit goodfaithmedia.org and purchase Dr. Selig. Felix's brand new book, The Tale of Two Tims, Big Old Baptist, Big Old Gay. Tim, it has been a sheer delight. Thank you for being with us. I'm really touched by your allowing me to be here today. So thank you. Thank you. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thanks again for tuning in to Good Faith Weekly. As always, uh, let's remember to practice good faith. Good faith.